Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, welcome to week three of our sermon series on the book and story of Haggai. The book of Haggai is kind of this little-known story tucked away in the back of the Old Testament. And we've been walking through it for the last couple of weeks because I believe that it is the perfect story for where we find ourselves in the world today. See, the story of Haggai concerns itself with the, the telling of how the people of Israel returned to normal life. They were taken captive and held prisoner in the land of Babylon, and they were there for over 50 years. And then then they begin to return, to be allowed to go back to their homeland, to kind of resume and pick up life as they once remembered it. But along the way, they kind of have some struggles, some missteps, and they realize that returning to normal life is far more difficult than maybe it seemed. And so I think for us, it's the perfect story as a cautionary tale to warn us and to kind of give us some guidance on how we should be returning to our normal life, the steps that we should take, the steps that we should avoid, and what it would look like to return to life well. Now, the story of Haggai is kind of told through four different sermons that the prophet Haggai gives to the people of Israel. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the first two of them, and this morning we'll talk about the third story in the book of Haggai, or the third sermon in the book of Haggai, rather. Now, the first sermon that we heard from Haggai and the message that he delivered to the people of Israel uh, kind of criticized them. He kind of condemned them. He kind of got on their case, and and he said, listen, you've made some mistakes. And the mistake that they made was, you know, two years previous, they had been allowed to return to Jerusalem like we just discussed. Well, they returned to Jerusalem, and they begin to rebuild kind of the temple, this this kind of cultural, religious, economic center of their lives. It was the most important building, the most important focal point of their entire lives. And they begin to rebuild. They built the foundation. They built the altar. But then after about two years, they got distracted. They got sidetracked. They got too busy with their own lives and all of the things that they were consumed with and focused on. And they prioritized other things other than the rebuilding of the temple. And so inevitably, through their busyness and their own preoccupation with their own lives, their own interests, and kind of their own routines and the familiar ways that life returns back to normal, they got distracted, the building stopped, and it remained um, kind of untouched for the next 17 years. And so this is the point when Haggai shows up on the scene and says, hey, what's going on? You started this project, you did good for about two years, and then the work stopped, and for 17 years, you did nothing. You did nothing to continue to rebuild the temple of God. You consumed yourself with all of your own things, all of your own desires. And the prophet Haggai says, how's that working out for you? Because what he points out is there was kind of this dissatisfaction, this uneasiness about the way life had been. There wasn't the same fulfillment and richness that they were hoping for. They kept pursuing things and it never really worked out. There was always this emptiness and this incompleteness, this dissatisfaction with the way that they were living their lives. And Haggai points their attention to the reason because that they had stopped doing work on the temple. He's like, listen, you've got your priorities all out of whack. For 17 years, you have not touched the work that you were called to do. You have not touched prioritizing, kind of building and allowing for the presence of God in your life. And because of that, it's got everything all out of whack. So that was the first sermon. 
And in response to hearing the first sermon, the people of Israel, they kind of mustered up the courage and they got kind of back in with the program and they started to rebuild the temple again. But as they did, after about a month or so, they realized that this version of the temple failed to live up to either their memories of how the temple once looked, if they were around prior to them, or it failed to live up to their expectations about what they hoped that the temple would look like. And so in that way, there was a bit of disappointment because they realized that this new temple you know, just wasn't as impressive as they hoped it was. It didn't meet all of the expectations that they had or the memories that they had. And so because of their discouragement, the work stopped once again. And once the work stopped again, the prophet Haggai shows back up for sermon two, for message two. And he says, listen, you've got to know and trust that what's coming is going to be greater than what you see. The glory of this new temple is going to far exceed the glory of the old temple, that there is hope around the corner. Don't give up. Don't quit. Even though your current reality doesn't match your expectations, you have to trust that God is working in your midst, that God is with you, and that he is bringing about something greater than you can anticipate or that you could even expect. So it's kind of a rah-rah cry for the people of Israel, and they begin the work again. Now this morning, Sermon 3, Part 3 of the Haggai series, is we're going to be looking at the next message that the prophet Haggai brings to the people of Israel. And this one is a little bit different than the other two, but in a way kind of summarizes and places an exclamation point at the end of the first two sermons. And so, so we're going to jump right into this next message that Haggai has for the people of Israel. So if you've got your Bibles with you, or if you've got the Bible feature on our online platform, go ahead and click that. We'll be in the second chapter of Haggai in about the 10th verse. So let's turn to Haggai chapter 2. And if you just want me to do the work for you this morning, I'll read it. So here we go. This is the third message that the prophet Haggai brings to the people of Israel. He says, on the 24th of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests for a ruling. Now this seems strange to us maybe, but this was pretty common practice back then. You would you know, lean on the experience, the wisdom, the guidance of your religious leaders to help clarify your understanding about the law, what you could do, what you couldn't do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, all about the law that God had given his people. You needed experts who understood the nuance and the implications and could help you kind of parse out um, what was permitted and what wasn't permitted according to the law of God. And so it was really common back then for people to go to their priests, to their religious leaders, and say, hey, help me understand this. Explain this for me. I'm a little confused about how it all works. So the Lord says, go ahead, ask your priest for a ruling. Ask for some guidance. Ask for some clarification. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? Now, for us, this is kind of a strange question. If a man carries holy meat, this is meat that had been sacrificed and placed on the altar as a gift to and a sacrifice to God. And once you do that, the meat takes on a unique holiness that it didn't have before. Because of the intention, because of the obedience, because of the willingness to sacrifice it and give it to God, it takes on a whole new purpose and a whole new significance. 
But if you then took that meat and maybe tucked it in your pocket or placed it in your shirt and through the kind of the course of your, your rest of your day, it touched something else, whether it was bread or it was cooked food or wine or oil, would it impart holiness upon those other things that it came in contact with? Could you kind of have an accidental holiness? You bumped into somebody and they became holy and so forth. And could holiness spread in that way? This is really the kind of the question that they're asking. And God says to the prophet Haggai, the priests would answer, no, that's not how it works. You cannot have accidental holiness. Holiness is based on intention. It's based on an act of devotion given towards God. And because of that, holiness is imparted on it. There's an intentionality to the actions that you do that would then allow those things to then become holy. Bear with me. Haggai continues. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these same things, will the latter become unclean? So, back then, it was common that people would die. And when people would die, it would be up to the people who were relatives of them, who lived lives with them, to take care of the corpses. But any time you had to deal with a dead body, it would make you ceremonially unclean. You would be religiously unclean and you would remain unclean until you went through an act of purification, some ritual of cleanliness uh, that would allow you to kind of, similar to the way that we understand baptism today, it was kind of taken out of that same practice. There would be a washing that would then allow you to kind of enter into a new life in that moment. So the question is, if you have holy meat, can you have accidental holiness by coming in contact with the meat? The priest says, no, that's not how it works. Okay, but what about uncleanliness? Can you have accidental uncleanliness? If you touch a corpse and then you touch the bread or the oil or the wine or any of the other things, could you have accidental uncleanliness? And the priest answers, yes. If you touch a corpse and then touch some of these other things, which is really gross as we think about it, it's like handling a dead body and then like, no, I'll, I'll make dinner for everybody. It's a little weird, but this was kind of a normal practice because they didn't have people who would do that for a living back then. If you did that, the priest is saying, then the stuff that you touch, the people that you interacted with, they would become unclean too. And so there's this distinction and there's this division between holiness not being contagious, but uncleanliness being contagious. And so if you're not careful, the uncleanliness in your life can spread to other parts of your life. That's not how holiness works. Holiness requires intentionality. Uncleanliness does not require intentionality And so we have to be cautious with it because it can spread throughout our lives. This is the point that God is trying to get the people of Israel to understand. And so then he makes the connection. So then Haggai says, so this is how it is with these people. The way that it works in this ruling, this question about holiness and uncleanliness, the way that it works there, the same is true for these people. He's making kind of this clever kind of legal argument. As it is here, So it is here. So is the people. And so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. What God is saying is because of the actions and the disobedience of the people of Israel, it spread to every category, every aspect, and every part of their lives. Kind of, there was this creep, this contagion that came out of their disobedience. Now, what disobedience is he talking about? You say, Stephen, I thought the people were doing good now. I thought they were rebuilding the temple. They are. 
And so here, the prophet Haggai is referring to the way things were before they started work on the temple. So it's really like, remember how when you were disobedient, nothing in your life worked out? There was this contagion that spread because of your disobedience, and it led you to a place where life was unsatisfactory. It was dissatisfying. You were struggling to find enough. Life just didn't have the same meaning and fulfillment and purpose. This is what's happened. So is true with the people, the nation, their work, and anything they offer. It all fell short because of the uncleanliness. And so what we realize is when they stopped working on the temple, when they stopped prioritizing God, it led to a place of ruin in their lives. Without their focus, without their obedience, without kind of their intentionality on living lives that would continue to rebuild the temple, it ended up causing this slow decay and this slow erosion of the quality of their life. The life back then, it flowed out of the temple. And so because work on the temple wasn't continuing, it caused the rest of their lives to remain incomplete and unfinished and unsatisfying. And so I think what we find just in these first couple of verses of this new message that Haggai brings to the people of Israel is kind of a similar kind of recognition and realization for ourselves. We can all think back to periods of our life when maybe we weren't prioritizing our relationship with God, we weren't living the way that we were supposed to be living, whether it was a moment or a season or an entire decade of your life. You, we can all look back and think about those periods of time where we wish we would have done things differently, made different choices, had different priorities, oriented our life in a different way. And we can realize that as we think back upon those times, life wasn't actually that fulfilling. We didn't actually have the meaning and the purpose, the happiness, the joy, the satisfaction, the peace, any of the things that we were actually searching for, any of the things that we were actually looking for, maybe by through the course of those actions, we realized that that way, that path didn't lead to where we wanted it to go. It didn't lead to life. It didn't lead to abundance. It didn't lead to our flourishing. And so this is kind of the point that the prophet Haggai is making to the people. It's like, Think about how it used to work. You had this disobedience that just spread throughout your life. It kind of created the erosion in the meaning and the purpose that you found because you had stopped doing work on the temple. And he goes on. He says, but now, do consider from this day onward. He starts to acknowledge that maybe there's been a shift. There's been a turning point. And he says, before, back then, before one stone was placed on another in the temple. From that time when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there would only be 10. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would only be 20. I struck you in every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. And you still didn't return to me, declared the Lord. This is what the prophet Haggai is pointing out. Like, listen, back then you messed it up. And it didn't lead you to a place of satisfaction or fulfillment or promise. And so there needs to be a shift. There needs to be a turning point. There needs to be a moment where you choose something different. And the prophet Haggai says, you've made that choice. From this day forward, there is something new happening. From this day forward, because you have returned to obedience, because you have restarted the work of rebuilding the temple, because you prioritized 
creating an opportunity for the presence of God to exist in your life, there's something new that's going to happen. We're kind of, kind of drawing a line in the sand and everything previous looked this way. And now he's drawing a line to say, but what's coming next is going to be something different than what you used to experience. This dissatisfaction, this you know, lack of fulfillment, this searching for peace, searching for you know, purpose, for meaning in life. Like There's something new that's happening because you've reprioritized your relationship with God. So, in verse 18, do consider from this day onward, and then he marks the date and the time, from the 24th day of the ninth month, which turns into kind of mid-December for our calendars, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, think about, look back on, examine. Is there any seed left in the barn? Do the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree still yield, still yield nothing? He's saying, listen, life looks different now. The way that you remembered it is different than the way that you're experiencing it now. There is flourishing. There is goodness. There is abundance. There is richness that you can experience in your life. And you can trace it back to, you can pin it to the moment when you made the shift. The moment when you made the decision to reprioritize your relationship with God, the moment that you reprioritized your willingness to be obedient in your actions, obedient in your life. And so he says, from this day on, I will bless you. Now for us, you know, it's easy to kind of get a little confused about this idea of blessing and what this means and, you know, Back in this time period when the prophet Haggai was you know, sharing this message to the people of Israel, they drew a direct line between kind of the physical abundance of the world around them, the bountifulness of the harvest, with kind of their standing in relationship with God. And so it was very external oriented. It was very kind of harvest oriented because they were agrarian people. They worked for their own food. And so everything was done through kind of what the earth provided. And so they drew a really strong line between their obedience and God's willingness to bless them with abundance in terms of crop and harvest and things like that. But what we see throughout the stories in the pages of Scripture is an evolution in the understanding of what it means to be blessed by God. We see an evolution in what it means to receive blessing, to live a life of blessedness in relationship to God. And I think Jesus clarifies it for us most. He talks about how God's blessedness is available to everybody who lives their life in relationship with him. It's a quality and a character of life. It's not an external reality so much as it is an internal, a metaphysical reality. The Apostle Paul describes it as fruit of the Spirit, of joy and peace and hope and love and patience and selflessness. These characters and qualities of how we can live our life on a day-to-day basis that speak to and that call to God's work and activity in our life. And so there's a shift for us coming out of this passage, coming out of this message to Haggai, but I think for us it's really simple. There's a way that you can live your life. There's a way that you can engage in the world. There's a way that you can order your priorities and focus your thoughts and your actions and your choices. And if God is not at the center of all of that, if that is not the heart and the focus of your life, then ultimately it's going to lead to a place that's unsatisfying. 
that's unfulfilling and that's lacking in the true meaning and purpose and peace and hope that we all long for. But there can be a turning point in your life. There can be a moment where there is a shift. There can be a place where you draw a line in the sand and you begin to live your life towards God, working to create the opportunity for the presence of God to exist in your life. Now, for the people of Israel in that time, life flowed out of the temple, and so it was all about rebuilding the temple so that God's presence could exist and so then they could receive God's blessing. For us, and as we've talked about in weeks previous, God's presence doesn't exist in a physical building anymore, but rather we are God's temple. Our lives are God's temple. And so when we begin to work towards, to live a life of obedience, to begin to live in relationship with God, ordering our thoughts, ordering our our actions, our desires, our priorities, when our heart is aligned with God and with God's heart, we begin to experience God's presence in our life. And we, when we experience God's presence in our life, it leads to a life of blessing. Not in the same external, maybe financial sense or in the way that we receive more in abundance in the way of the harvest like they believed in the time of Haggai, but in this internal quality, in this internal character of our life. We all know people who are examples of this, who just have a supernatural sense of peace, in the midst of frustration and irritation, have a supernatural sense of calm and presence in the midst of anxious times or anxious, anxious circumstances, who have supernatural hope and joy and patience and love and compassion, ways that seem beyond the external circumstances of their life. There's a deepness, there's a well of something else that they have tapped into that has given their life such richness, such meaning, such beautiful quality and character. They truly are flourishing in the sense, and they can draw it back to the presence of God in their life and the work that they do to maintain that presence of God. And so for us, we have that same opportunity. We can think back to a way that we used to live that actually never really served us, to think back to a way that we used to prioritize our lives, or focused our energies that never actually amounted to what we were hoping for. And today we can make a shift. Now, I don't know that it's as simple as a line in the sand, and once you make that decision, that you never have to remake that decision. I think that it's a daily process. We wake up and try to reorient our lives back to God each and every day, maybe moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour. But what we find is God's grace makes it possible for us to constantly choose again to live our life in relationship with God. makes it possible for us to once choose again an opportunity to live obediently, to prioritize creating the presence of God in our life. And that opportunity to choose is maybe um, most notable in the sacrament of Holy Communion that we're going to celebrate here in just a couple of moments. You see, the sacrament of Holy Communion is kind of this external sign that speaks to an internal reality. It's something that you can see and touch and feel that draws your attention to and that signifies something that is happening on the inside. Well, what's that something that's happening? It's the work of God. It's the work and the presence of God existing in our lives. Today, we call that work grace, and it's really the opportunity for us to reconnect, to reestablish relationship with God God beginning to once again work in our lives, to exist in our lives, to fill our lives with his presence. And when we do that, when we celebrate communion, what we are celebrating is the activity in the presence of God in our life. 
knowing, hoping, trusting, and believing that it is God's grace and presence in our lives that leads to blessing, that leads to flourishing, that leads to fulfillment, to hope, to joy, to peace. And so that's why we celebrate communion. And that's why I think communion is the perfect way to kind of punctuate this message that Haggai shares because each and every time we come before communion, we celebrate God's grace. Nothing that we've done, but what God has done for us, which means that we always have the power to choose again, to return back to God, to turn back, to redevote our lives, to recommit our choices and our priorities, and ultimately to recenter our heart and life on God. And so I'm going to pray for our time together this morning, and then we're going to go into a time of celebrating Holy Communion. And so I hope that you'll go and grab any bread or juice or crackers that you need as we celebrate this together. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to be reminded that you were always present in our lives. You're always at work in our lives, and you were always inviting us back into a relationship with you. And so God, in this moment, as we prepare to celebrate Holy Communion, We'd ask that you'd fill this, these, these elements with your spirit and your grace, that they would become for us the body and blood of Christ so that you would begin to transform our lives so that we could become the body of Christ in the world. God, we love you and we're grateful for this opportunity to be reminded of your presence in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.